Hi and welcome to another <laughs> best start to an episode ever. Hi and welcome to another Big Sweat episode, uh, one of my monthly interviews with a, an expert in a particular field where we deep dive into some of the topics that I cover in the earlier episodes, in the shorter episodes. With me today is Dr. Simon Raybould. Hi Simon, how are you doing? I'm all right, Jeff. Looking forward to it. No, let's restart that again, because you're not Jeff, are you? Yeah, I'm not Jeff. I'm going to leave that in, because <laughs> you laughed at me when, I'm, when I, when I um, had the blooper for the start of this one. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to Jeff later on today. Should we start again? <laughs> let's start again. Okay. All right. Hi, and welcome to another Big Sweat episode of The Sprout Sweater. In these episodes, as hopefully you'll know by now, we spend a lot longer in the episode and we explore a particular topic that I may have talked about in the last few shorter episodes, uh, and we explore it in more depth with an expert on a particular topic. This week, I've got Dr. Simon Raybould with me. Hi, Simon. How are you doing? Hello, Dave. I'm fine. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, great. I'm looking forward to uh, having you uh, picking your, the opportunity to pick your brains. Um, anyway, just if you could give a bit of background, Simon, um, about yourself and your work and your current focus. We've known each other for a lot of years and, and you're my kind of go-to for a number of different areas, which we'll not out tease as we go through. But uh, tell, tell everybody a bit about yourself. Well, I started life as a research scientist um, many, many years ago. I did a PhD looking at the causes of childhood leukemias. And then I spent 24 years in research, applying those techniques that I developed there to other things, such as life chances and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, eventually, I became centre manager for the UK's biggest social science research unit. And then I dug my escape tunnel into the rest of the world, which is no mean feat because my office was on the fourth floor. Um, so I'd got a lot, of, a lot of other people's offices to dig through before I got there. Um, and now I run my own company specializing in training people in some soft skills all related to presentations communications confidence assertiveness impact having more personal impact is the the generic phrase yeah great very succinct as always Simon and um, obviously we've known each other a few years and um one of the things I've really got to appreciate about you is the rigor and the that, that research-based approach to your work and obviously that's what I often trying to pick your brains about as well. Um, so I, I guess in relation to the the theme of the Sprout Sweater, what we often talk about is the stories we tell ourselves, the narratives that we tell ourselves, and, and the scripts that we run on automatically almost, you know, that, that those unconscious habits and routines and rituals that we have day to day, and how they can both be helpful and also get in the way. Um, so I'm, I wanted to pick up on that initially and then maybe dig into some of your work around confidence, um, and and having more impact and presence, I guess, as well. But I know I've had conversations with you in the past about, you know, the schema and script aspect of um, our thinking processes. And I know that comes from the cognitive science, yeah, psychology mm. realm. Do you want to just elaborate a little bit more on that? You probably explain a lot better than I can. It depends what you're referring to, because there's a couple of things that it, it could be. A schema, if that's what you want, is, is when you know something so darn well it becomes a little black box and, and you you never have to think about it again. And the analogy I always use, because it's most fun, is to cast your mind back to when you were learning to drive, and particularly when you were learning to change gear and you've got this full on a shift mirror signal maneuver, put your foot down, shift up, and your brain is absolutely crack on full. And then God help you if somebody in the passenger seat uh, speaks to you at the point when you're trying to change gear because it just 
you know, melts your brain. It's one more thing you can't cope with. And if you're like anything like me, you turn on them and go, shut up, I'm driving, because you just can't. Even though the person in that passenger seat was saying, literally at saying to me at the time, be careful not to hit the parked police car. <laughs> Which, <laughs> and, and it just tipped me over the edge. Even though they were giving me good advice, it was more advice than I could cope with at the time. It was just one too many things, and I was stressed out about it. And we do tend to get a bit stressed out like that about a whole bunch of things, not just the specific acute issues, but about a whole bunch of issues that go with our, our, our lives. And one of the big things that always takes people by surprise is that even being helped can tip people over the edge because you know that you, your brain is full, you're thinking too hard, um, you don't have things wrapped into schema, so you're making lots of conscious decisions. And then somebody says, where would you like to go for a meal out on Saturday night? And it's supposed to be a treat, and they're supposed to be saying great things. It's a meal out with your spouse on Saturday night. What's not to love? But it's just one thing too many, and you end up going, how the hell should I know? Uh, and what is supposed to be a treat suddenly becomes a cause of stress in its own right because it just tips you over the edge past your cognitive capacity. Yeah, it makes total sense. <laughs> we've probably all got numerous examples of when that's happened to us or when we've been on the receiving end of that. Um, so just a, a little bit more. So the schema are those things that over time, that practice habit routine ritual is so practiced and habitual and embedded that we don't need to invest any conscious thought. Is that is that? That's it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you learn some rules at school about, I don't know, uh, let's make one up here. Um, well, you could always, if you wanted to, and you say, what's the shortest distance between two straight two points in a straight line, we all use the Pythagoras theorem of the square of the sum of the root of the other two, two sides. And all that kind of, we never test it, we just use it. Because we've tested it at school once, we now know it to be true, we just use it. Yeah. Um, and schema are just like that. Things that we have tested in the past that we no longer bother to validate because, well, why would we? That, that we know that that little magic black box does what it says it is supposed to do. Right, cool. So what about script scripts then? We run a whole bunch, you know as well as I do, we run a whole bunch of scripts where we tell ourselves, this is the story about me. I am such and such a person. I behave like such and such a way. And because we have got such a high cognitive load on us all the time and we're not running kind of enough schemas, we tend to run absolutely at maximum capacity. We can't think everything through that we need to think. So we tend to follow scripts because our brains just can't cope with any more information. So if there is a heuristic, they're called, if there is a shorthand script that we can follow, we tend to follow it because it's less cognitive load. It's just easier. Um, so a silly example, I'm being completely silly. If you see somebody walking down the street who is seven feet tall, who is, you know, who, who kicks babies, the next time you see someone who is seven feet tall and your brain is running on maximum capacity and you don't have the thinking space to go, do I know this person? No. So do, what do I know about them? Nothing. Are they likely to kick babies? I don't know. Instead of doing that, your brain just goes, last time I saw somebody who was seven foot tall, they kicked a baby. Therefore, the chances are that this person who is seven foot tall is going to kick a baby. Uh, and we respond on these sort of semi-autopilot yeah, script, semi-scripted, semi-autopilot heuristics are the vast majority of what we do. I am tongue-in-cheek and please, if you're seven feet tall, please don't take offence at the example I've just given you. But you get the you get yeah. the idea. Yeah. Yeah, so in terms of it, the, the, 
you're defining a difference between schema and script. And I just want to kind of define the terms and get clear about those before we kind of start to build on it. Yeah, and well, the the way I build on it, if that's where we if that's where we go, the way we build on it sometimes is to have a script which we tell ourselves, or a script that is semi-written, which can be as positive as the negative ones. Right? So, um, for example, I did a couple of years ago. I did a um, a lot of work in Ireland. It was pretty stressful because I was flying to and from Ireland, and, and I didn't see my wife for a long time. It's worth pointing out that when I was working in Ireland for three months. It wasn't worth coming home for some weekends because I would just get home in time to turn around a bit. Um, and uh, my wife's solution to that was to fly to Ireland and have a weekend away with me, which I thought was a remarkably nice thing to do. But I, I kind of get to the airport, and because you don't know the airport and you don't know what you're doing and you don't know where the car hire place is, there's this bit where you go, I'm out of my depth, and you get a bit freaked out about it. The story I was able to tell myself at that point is, is, to, use, is to use a story of an alter ego. I don't know what to do, but who do I know who would know what to do? Uh, Batman would know what to do. What would Batman do? And then you run the script of what would Batman do? I'm not saying that Batman has a solution to every single... Actually, do you know what? Maybe, maybe I am, but I'm just using Batman as a facetious example because you can run those scripts positively and ask yourself, you know, I, the script, my scripts have run out. Who has a better script that I can follow? Batman has a better script that I can follow. Or James Bond has a better script that I can follow. Or Wonder Woman has a better script that I can follow. Or, and you go, you ask yourself very simply, what would they do? And you follow that script through. Um, it's a little more complicated and messy than I'm making it sound, but it's a really powerful starting place for when you're out of your depth. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and that feeling of being out of your depth... Uh, and there's been a, a number of times in my life when I've experienced that, 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 those moments and the panic that can arise when, you know, those script, the existing scripts don't do the job or are completely just not the right ones. That feeling can be really, it is overwhelming. It's, it can incite panic and, and all sorts of things in yourself, which obviously is very destructive. So that tactic of then saying, well, what would they do? If you don't have the script for what that thing is, how do you get it when it's you're imagining something? Because that's 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 a question that is interesting, isn't it? Because I, I find that, I mean, I suggest that as a tip to other people, you know, what would such and such do? If you admire them under high pressure emotion situations, what would they do? Now, when it's somebody that you know that you've seen work under pressure, you kind of can switch out of your non-existent script for this situation into, well, I've seen them do this. So you've got a bit of a script there. Does that makes sense yeah 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 uh, so but how what, what would what would james bond do james bond yeah. would just walk up to the desk and do this yes right okay so so you've got you've got a script based on their general behavior and approach attitude or, or something like that mm -hmm. is that kind of what yeah, yeah 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 and and before you go too far down the route of, of, of that question of what would you do if there is no script if you haven't to make one up um Hand on heart, I have never been in a situation where I haven't been able to run somebody else's script because we've all read a story at some point in our lives with a hero who knew what the hell they were doing. So all you have to do is, is cast your mind back to the last story that you read. And don't tell me that you've never read a story in your entire life because there are some people who go, oh, I never read fiction. Well, firstly, poor you. And secondly, is that's what your parents were for when you were a bairn. But let's get... Um, but there's a, you can go even further than that and go... I don't know what to do. What would I do if I did know what to do? 
which is a kind of a meta script, if you like. Right. It's a, a script about a script. You know, I don't know what to do. Oh, shit, what should I do? I don't know. If I did know what to do, what would I do? Oh, I'd do that. Okay, do it. Um, and it sounds right. It sounds really weird. It sounds like it's not going to work. But the number of times I've, I've used it, the number of times I've seen it used when you've, you've just literally said to yourself, and it's a coaching question, isn't it? You know? Mm. I know you don't know the answer to this question, but if you did know the answer, what would it be? And the reason it works is because it gets the person to step out of their current script, which is telling them, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want to pick up at a point you said uh, earlier on when you said your scripts aren't serving you and you've run out of scripts you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's running a script. The script you're running is, I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, is, there is an I'm out of my depth script. Um, and it stops you running the I'm out of my depth script which is just as a fiction you've got in your head, and it replaces that story about yourself with another story about yourself, which is, I'm not out of my depth because I know what to do, and away you go. Right. It's kind of like this idea, well, here's a silly question, right? How easy is it to solve your own problems? Answer, almost impossible, because if you could solve your own problems, you would have solved it, and it wouldn't be a freaking problem any longer, right? But how often have you or I or anybody else floated a problem to somebody else that we can't solve and they have gone well why don't you just do so and so because they're seeing it from the outside of the problem it's the old hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy somebody else's problem concept you can solve problems that aren't yours much more easily than you can solve your own problems so if you're telling your script you still if you're telling yourself a script about i don't know what to do but if it was somebody else who was doing this what would they do you're solving somebody else's problem. You're not solving your own problem. You're not solving the Simon is in in the airport and doesn't know where to go problem. You're solving the somebody else is in Dublin airport and doesn't know where to go problem, Mm. which is much, much much, much easier to solve. Mm. Okay, right. This This is where my head's going on this. What... I'm not sure I'm, I might have lost the thread just there. I had it and it's gone, but I'm going to try and explain. <laughs> when we're talking about the scripts, like the, the I don't know what to do script. Yeah. Or, you know, we're helping somebody else. We're kind of now, I think I might have lost my thread here, but I'm going to try and hang on to it or grab it back. This is my Sorry. script. I think I've lost my I've lost my way script. No, but the point, I'm running the script. I can't solve this problem because as you said there, it, it, to oversimplify, if I could, I would have already done it. Mm-hmm. But by shifting it into a different script, which is I'm actually helping somebody else out, or what would I do if somebody else had this very same problem? I'm shifting into a different script. Yeah. So you can either pretend to be somebody else or run somebody else's script or ask yourself if if Simon, came, you know, if I, I was Simon Airport and go, if Dave came to me and said, I don't know what to do, what, what advice would I give him? it's much easier to solve that problem because you're not freaking out at that point. So seriously, if I'm studying in, in, in the air, Dublin airport and I have no idea where the hell I'm going, if somebody came to me and said, I don't know where I'm, where I'm supposed to be, what should I do? It'd be really obvious for me to say to them, well, why don't you look for the such and such desk or the information desk or the signs or the whatever it was? Actually, I wasn't doing that because I was just overwhelmed by the I've just realised, by the way, I've been saying Dublin all the way through this. Dublin Airport doesn't freak you out. Dubai Airport, on the other hand, that does freak you out because that's the size of, of, you know, that's the size of the city that I live in. You know, it's, it's just the airport is the size of the city. I live in. Um, 
Yeah. So it's much easier. In fact, you've seen me do this. You've seen me do it on stage a long yeah. time ago in, in Leeds, I think. Yes, yes, um, I remember. Okay. Uh, Simon does not know what to do on stage. Simon freaks out before he goes on stage. On the other hand, there is a pretend version of Simon who knows exactly what he is doing on stage. <laughs> and you become this other person running this other script who goes, right, Simon on stage script, start to run it. You change the way you stand because you're being some, and away you go. And the idea is that you run these scripts pretending that they're somebody else until you assimilate them and they become your own schema. Right. So I'm, I'm now at the point where somebody says to you, are you comfortable on stage? Hell yes, absolutely. Because I've been on stage often enough being somebody else to mean that I can switch between me and this other person and the performance version of me. And I can do that all those things now at the, the drop of a hat, just at the blink of an eye, metaphorically at the blink of an eye. Doesn't mean I don't get nervous. It does mean that there is a version of me who knows what to do with those nerves. Right, yes. Yes, now that's the sort of, again, it's that idea of shifting into the, the, the script. I'm feeling nervous. I, I can't handle this. I'm rubbish. I'm into, hang on a minute, there is a Simon that knows how to deal with these nerves and interpret these nerves differently, handle them differently, and then yeah. employ some different techniques. It kind of, when you talk about it, it becomes a schema. It's, that, it's the thing, going back to the idea of the car, that like rarely, if ever, I mean, I'm saying that if ever, I've never sat in my car and thought, I have really no idea how to drive now. Do, do you know what I mean? But I could, I could, if I thought about it, think I could put myself into that script where I just panic about it. You know, if you kind of make that leap because, but I'm so ingrained in it, like getting in the car, I know what I'm doing. That schema just runs automatically. Until you sit in somebody else's car where the indicators are on the opposite yes. side. Of, yes. <laughs> yes. When the dashboard is laid out differently and you look at the gear lever and go, yes. where the bloody hell is reverse? Um, yeah. Yes, a new car, which is often why they'll sit with you for 10 minutes in the car before you take it out of wherever to say, right, this is where that is, this is where that is. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, that, that, because it throws, so, so that, that's an interesting one. So it throws the existing script, a schema, which I guess is pretty, it's set, it's not only set as in automatic, it's set in its detail. Is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah, it can be, can be, yeah. Very, very set in its detail. So we then need to, sort of become very conscious of that to know how do we adapt it and I guess the best kind of schema is something that has that flexibility built in you know you're always changing cars and this that. I know when I was in the police um you know I drive my car to work then I drive a different panda then they might get the keys to the transit van to go and pick something up or somebody up you know that kind of thing um and you'd always be having to switch between different vehicles yep I used to do it a lot when I was touring as a lighting designer I would look at the lighting control desk in a theater and go Right then, of these 536 buttons, which one turns it on? I have no freaking idea because every lighting board is, is different. It's like, yeah. honestly, I would rather have your problem of getting in different cars than sitting in front of different lighting boards because I have no idea what the hell I'm doing here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen some of the sound boards in some of these studios and, and lighting boards when you, you happen to look behind you, you think, what on earth? Yeah, yeah, but. I guess, like you say, if you've developed, if you're working with it all the time, you'll develop very complex schema to deal with those those kinds of things. Yeah, and if you, yeah, you're right, and and you're hint, you're hinting at something what I'm going to call a meta schema, which is a schema right. that says how do I decide which schema to use. So you sit in the Ford Transit, and the first thing you do is go, you run a script that goes, I'm a competent driver, I can figure this out. 
Okay. Almost like loading a computer module that says, right, what you know, what am I doing? Right, I'm operating Ford Transit. Load operating Ford Transit module. Bleep done. I can now drive a Ford Transit. I'm, I'm simplifying, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so the meta schema is going. What am I sitting in? I'm sitting in the Ford Transit. Do I know how to load, drive a Ford Transit? Yes. <laughs> if yes, load that module. If no. Ask somebody how the hell to drive a Ford Transit. Or I'm sitting in a Ford Fiesta. Do I know how to drive one of those? So the, the meta module is the, do I know how to do this? If not, how do I find out? Yeah. That's a really important element of this, isn't it? Because if, from from the examples you gave before, a lot of this is about how do I get out of my own way? Yeah. In, in a sense of, if my script is suddenly running, I don't know what to do, I can't handle this, or I'm just feeling like, oh, man, what? I can't do this, man. It's rubbish. I'm taking nothing in. Or, you know, whatever those feelings are, we're operating a, a script that is might be comforting in one sense because it's familiar, mm-hmm. you know, but it's just not productive and it's certainly not good for us in that, you know, in any sense. So acknowledging that we have those schema uh, scripts and possibly, you know, schema around it, I guess, because I'll come back to a question about schema shortly. We need to then look at, well, what are those meta scripts that allow us to shift out the meta? What, did you call them meta schema or meta scripts? I call them meta scripts, but honestly, the difference between a schema and a script is blurry. It depends right. on okay. who you're reading. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that meta script is something that we, we need to, that's the getting out of our own way, getting out of the current script that we're running to then, operate something at a bigger level to then pick a different script Mm -hmm. which could be what would they do or what advice would i give or what would batman do (laughs) what batman Batman do is almost it's almost always the right answer to the question what would batman do yeah it didn't take you long to get batman into the interview i have to say simon that's probably a record (laughs) (laughs) it it was a toss-up do i what would batman do or what would doctor who do one of those two things almost always the right thing to do (laughs) yeah or if i'm feeling really grown up if I'm feeling really, really grown up, I ask myself the question, what would my wife do? Because okay, I've so discovered you... that's 99% of the time that's the right thing to do. And and knowing Corinne being the, the sensible of the two. <laughs> She's a grown-up in the relationship, fully yeah, fully yeah. aware that my wife is the grown-up in the relationship. Yeah. No problem with that. You know that script? You know it? <laughs> so there's, 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 something, there's a couple of things to point out that panic script that you run of, I don't know what to do. Mm. One of the problems with that is the very first thing that, that goes when you don't know what to do is your ability to be rational. Yes. Okay. Um, and it becomes, you, you're, once you're in your own way, almost by definition, you're staying in your own way because you can't have the logical thinking to get yourself out of, out of stuff. So there's a little kind of thing you can do there is you can prepare so you've got a hypothetical if this then that is already set up in advance, um, or you could you could run models rehearsals for it. Uh, you could run smaller, less scary versions of it, and all of that kind of all of that kind of thing before you're in these positions. Because let's face it, the chances of us genuinely being in a position where we have no idea what the hell to do, completely by surprise with no warning whatsoever, is practically nil. I mean, short of alien abduction, we're always warned. At, I'm facetious about the alien abduction, but we're, we're always we always know that there's something coming up. We may not know the details of it, but we do know that there is something happening, mm. and we can 
preload, if you like, or, or prepare in some way, shape, or form. Um, you silly, 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 silly example. If the phone rings, you don't know who it is on the far side, but you do know the protocol for answering the phone. Um, so th- there is never a situation which reminds me. I should turn my phone off. Which reminds me that you know, there is never a situation where you're not going to go. I've got a rough idea of the sorts of things that might happen, so you're at least partially prepared. Yeah, it's like you know, if you go into an exam at school, you didn't know what the questions were, but you did know that there were going to be questions. And you did know that the first thing you should do is read the instructions about how many questions you should answer. And you knew the second thing you should do is read all the questions so you could find the ones you could have the best crack at. And you knew that when you did that, then you should start answering the questions. Yeah. Rather than blind panic, oh my God, and start writing answers. Yeah, which, you know, we've probably all experienced in our times. But what, what you're kind of saying there, if, I, if I'm picking this up, is having something that at least gets you going in a situation. Because one of the things I've, I've found personally, uh, professionally, but with a lot of people may, that I'm coaching or talking to, is that once they're going, once we're going, once we're into it, you kind of settle in, albeit it may still be nerve-wracking, it may still be uncomfortable or unpleasant or however... But it's the fear of that, that it's the fear before that kind of puts you into freeze mode or, or whatever. And if you can have a, a script that kind of just helps you get going, you then move into potentially a mode of being able to run with what's there. Right. So let me, let me give you an example of, of that from my speciality field, which is presentations and standing on stage or standing in front of the boardroom and all of that kind of jazz. Um, there's a really simple tool you can use, which is just have a ritual before you go on stage, before you start to make the presentation, before the thing happens, because that kickstarts your script. That, that, you know, if I do this, my script starts to work. Because you're right, once you're up and running on stage, it's much easier to run the presentation. number of people who I say to them, what's the scariest bit about the presentation? And I always get the same two answers. One is the questions, because I don't know what questions are going to come. Yeah, well, wrong. Yes, you do. You just haven't done the research. Let's figure that out. But the other thing they say is it's getting started. Once it's running, it's much easier because I know what I'm doing. So what we do now is set up something that starts the process of delivering the presentation from the beginning. It could be rehearsing your first six lines or whatever, but it's a ritual. In fact, there's a member of my team, Claire, I don't know if you've ever met Claire, but it's a member of my team called Claire who says she swears she can see when I'm doing, because my, my rituals are inside my head now. I don't need the physical, although happy to use the physical. It's a good starting place. She says she can see the inside the head things happening because I stand differently and my eyes take on a different focus. It's not as, you know, your eyes change colour and you suddenly grow six inches. It's not that, but... She she swears she can actually see the moment when she stops talking to her friend and starts talking to the performer. She can actually say it, she can see it happen because I've got the ritual that kickstarts the script of Simon knows what he's doing on stage. Whether I do or not is another matter. <laughs> That's a completely separate issue. Competence is different from, from, from this sometimes. Right. Mm, that's something to pick up on as well, just to explore. Uh, kind of, I, I, when you were mentioning, I was thinking about the, the, it's, we all kind of know that, you know, sports 
performers, athletes, they, many of them will have little superstitious movements or rituals within that, and they become that's part of that. Right. Let me let me stop you because it looks like superstition to the yeah. people from the outside. Yes. You know, you, yeah. you say to an actor or you say to an athlete or you say to a footballer or whatever, do you have anything, any rituals you do before the president, before, you know, and they go, yes, I stand on one foot and I do yoga tree pose for 30 seconds with my eyes crossed. And that sounds like superstition for somebody from yes. there. But you know, and I know that once you've rehearsed it, that becomes part of your kickstart. The idea of me being able to do tree pose for that long is a fantasy, but you get the, you get the you get the gist so it's not a it's not a superstition it's a ritual yes and there's two things are not the same yes yeah so things like wearing the same shirt or the same same underwear type of thing how does that fit into it because it you know i've got my lucky shirt on or something like that how does that work it depends I, I i tell people to try and avoid having a physical thing because sod's law being what it is they won't have their lucky shirt yeah, for yeah, the presentation yeah. Yeah. so i try and, and and teach people the rituals which is something that you do or something that you think rather than something you have yes yeah. sod's law will screw you up every single time mm. um, yeah now so for me i think you know this already but for me part of my preparation ritual is to rub my thumb across the inside of my wedding ring that requires me to have my wedding ring on i get that so it requires a physical thing rather like your lucky shirt or stuff but after 37 years i physically can't take my wedding ring off it just does not come off i'm never going to be without it i physically cannot remove it without vaseline and 10 minutes hang on nope can't do it <laughs> it hurts my knuckle yeah. So I'm okay with that, with with cheating for my rules a little bit. But by and large, these rituals should be physical or mental rather than external objects. By all means, start with an external object, but that's a crutch that you want to get away from as soon as you can. Yeah, yeah. So it's a way in to the the practice, into creating it. So, that, but then focusing on something that you always have with you, which is a physical feeling or or a, or a thinking process or something. That that's some that's what you really want to build and embed. Yeah, yeah. Something that's in there, so that it's it's automatic and internal. Yeah, that's the idea, at least. So you mentioned um, there's so many things that I want to kind of pick up on and ask you about, but you mentioned that's competence, not this. So what do you mean? <laughs> Well, I might be confident about going on stage and think I'm God's gift to presentations and actually suck. Yes. Uh, okay. the, so the, the two things are not, you know, there's not a correlation of 1.0. Um, yeah. I, there is a bit of a correlation, but there is not a perfect correlation. And for some people who think they are brilliant on stage, it's actually a negative correlation because they're God awful uh, and they should never be allowed to talk to anybody, let alone me, um, because I have a habit of telling them that they're awful. Um, occasionally in fact I get told off for being quotes unnecessarily honest in my feedback quotes. Um, don't ask who said that but it was quotes they were um, they were quite they were quite blatant about the fact that I'd overstepped the boundaries of acceptability yeah um, but yes there is a relationship because if you're confident you are more likely to be competent all of the things being, you know, if, if you are terrified, you're more likely to screw up. Yeah. 
So if you are less terrified, you are less likely to screw up. So you're more likely to become competent. But I wouldn't want people to assume that just becoming confident makes you automatically competent. So the things that grind my gears are when I say to people, you know, presentations, training, I say, if, if I waved a magic wand, what would you like to be able to do at the end of this training course? And they go, well, I'd like to be completely confident talking about X, Y, and Z. And I go, okay, what do you know about X, Y, and Z? Oh, nothing. I haven't done that. Well, get out of my class then until you know what the hell it is that you're talking about, because confidence is not a magic, not a magic bullet here. Um, you have to. And the other thing that people seem to get very, very confused about is this idea that they want to become confident before they do anything. Okay. So uh, how did you learn to ride a bike? I'm assuming you can. Never seen you. Assuming you can. Right. How did you learn to ride a bike? Was the first time you ever got on a bike, somebody put you on a mountain bike at the top of a hill and threw you down a one in three. It's only got one brake. It's got 32 gears and it's got suspension and you're doing about 45 kilometers per hour down the rough track. Was that your first experience of riding a bike? Absolutely not, no. No, because the first time you rode a bike, you were probably a bairn with... Um, I was going to call them suspenders, and I don't mean suspenders. Stabilizers. Stabilizers, that's what it's probably Freudian slip on. there. Moving on. <laughs> You've got stabilizers on the flats, all of that kind of, all yeah. of that kind of stuff. And you get you get gradually confident about becoming more and more of a risk taker on your bike by taking more and more risks which are at the edge of what people call your comfort zone. Uh, jumping out of your comfort zone, leaping onto a bike down a 45 mile, 45 kilometer per hour hill, you're going to crash and burn. Yeah. On the other hand, if you never move out of your comfort zone, you're never going to get the stabilizers off. So the idea is that you want to be working at the edge of your yes. comfort zone to, to grow your comfort zone rather than randomly leap out of it into, you know, there's, there's memes where you go, the magic happens outside of your comfort zone. Yes, so does the crash and burn, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The yeah. growth happens at the edge of your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this, this, what I'm suggesting here is that these screamers and scripts and things could be used at the edges of your comfort zone to expand it gradually mm. so that you become more comfortable at more things rather than just doing the random jumping into stupid stuff. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's, that's totally bought into that. Make totally makes sense as well. So a couple of things. Um, I've got actually a great example with Rosie and teaching her because she's just learned to ride a bike. It's worth um, Rosie is for people who don't daughter, know you. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah. Um oh, she's she's been mentioned a few times on this okay, podcast fair. already. Fair, fair, yeah. Fair. yeah. Um now she we took her to the I took her to the park, no stabilizers on the bike, and there was that there was tears, tantrums, there was frustration, there was not wanting to give up, there was all of that. And eventually we got to the point where she was riding the bike, etc. And it kind of struck me that the it's that ski the script's in action isn't it in the sense that the, yeah. the script that was in action was i can't do this i'm never going to do this but there was also the emotional charge to that and i i remember thinking about it afterwards and thinking that not only did i have to kind of help her with the tactics the actual how to's just look yeah. ahead don't look at your wheel you know hold on to your, the handlebars and and pedal just keep pedaling that kind of thing. they're the they're the the physical elements there's all of the emotions there and it's about how do you i mean i talk about you know here's me cabbage the cracker jack analogy of chunk your cabbages down slice them down and, and chunk them into sprout sized actions but it's not just actions it's how do you slice down and, and deal with the emotional side because that's a very powerful that's that's like the charge behind the script 
Mm-hmm. It's saying mm-hmm. that you can't. So before we could actually get on with the skills, which is the competence bit, we had to deal with that bit before. And by hook or by crook, I'm not saying I did it particularly well, but it was a case of let's just keep going. Let's break it down into small bit. Just pedal a couple of times. You know, just do that. You can do this. Remember this. And, you know, kind of just give another reassurance. So I guess that's the difference between that idea of confidence and competence. We have the skills and, and what have you. And yes, obviously, confidence comes into that. But it's dealing with the emotional charge of some of these scripts that get in the way for that. So yeah. example, but as, as adults, we all have that. Yeah, and you can't expect a five-year-old to be able to do this kind of thing. But, you know, parenting is about teaching your children that, blah, 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 blah. But there's, there's something here for... I'm, I'm going to pretend that I was a perfect father and I've raised perfect daughters and I'm going to give you advice on how to raise your five-year-olds. Are you, are you ready to ignore me? Oh, no. Come on. Because, <laughs> you know, you know what my daughters are like, so there's not, you know, not a hell in chance. But, um, I forgot what I was going to say now. I completely forgot what I was going to say. Uh, sometimes it's about not wanting to push too many things too far. So, for example, if you've gone to the park and taken her stabilizers off at the same time, that might be a bit of a freaky thing. Yeah. So what you do is you go to the park with stabilizers. And, and here's the bit that people forget, and you go in your back street where she is completely comfortable all the time without stabilizers. And then you go to the park without stabilizers. So it's, it's not a linear thing that like people think. It's not a go to the park, then take off your stabilizers. It is take off your stabilizers, put them back on, go to the park, come back. Then you start building those those skills together because you've proven to yourself that you can do it without stabilizers and you've proven proven to yourself that you can ride in the park. Now it's just a question of putting those two things together. Whereas if you're going in a linear thing of go to the park, take your stabilizers off, you're much more exposed. Yeah. Which we're exposed. So, and uh, just to kind of develop this, so the, and the reason for that is because the, the the fledgling scripts, if you like, there's a couple there. You you um, if you chuck them all into one unfamiliar environment, the the overriding script is I don't know where I'm at, what I'm doing, and what have you. Whereas if we have those fledgling scripts and we kind of build on them in familiar, safe in the comfort zone at the edges of and then start to push out from that, we've got a better chance of that fledgling script becoming more embedded. Yeah, yeah. Embedded and, and an embedded fledgling script eventually becomes a schema where you yeah. don't have to think about it. In a couple of years' time, Rosie will be able to ride a bike, and you'll be sitting there thinking, I wish I had never taught her to ride a bike <laughs> yeah. because she's taking far, far, far too many risks. And as her father, I really don't want to see that. Mm. This is the voice of bitter personal experience, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or uh, my yes, oldest son, Thomas, moves on to a motorbike at one point. Oh, so glad when he got rid of that. But anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I taught my kids to ride bikes, and now they are riding them down mountains in Argentina. Um, and I'm thinking, uh, <laughs> really? Okay. Okay. Um, and when I say down mountains, I basically mean down one-in-ones. Yeah. It's kind of... <laughs> Shit! <laughs> Who the hell put that? Who thought it was a good idea to give anybody a bike? Yeah. <laughs> right, should calm down now because there's yeah. that protective father script that kicks in quite spectacularly if you're if you're not careful. 
Yeah, but anyway, building on that then, or, or kind of taking it into us as adults or anybody who's finding that <clears throat> they... I, I get well, the theme of the, the sprout sweater is one, small but significant actions or changes in habits, routines can lead to bigger things if we consistently apply them. But it's ultimately about trying to sort of address that question that many of us have at particular times in life. Like, is this it? You know, I'm I'm, I'm feeling like my life's not my own or I'm just feeling a bit lost and directionless or what do I want to do with the rest of my life type of thing? If this isn't, this isn't meaningful or fulfilling. Um, and the thought of making changes can be in itself just another potentially overwhelming thing. We might switch into that script of, oh, I cannot handle it. Oh, it's too much. And, and I talk about, you, you mentioned the comfort zone. Um, I talk about you, you can retreat into your numb zone. You know, that, that alternative place where you just want to block out the uncomfortable feelings, avoid the issues, and you might just work harder, drink, you know, whatever. You use those kinds of things that block out time or block out the emotion. So, but the alternative to that is rather than thinking about, as you say, making the big leap, there is a bit of a, uh, you know, I, I guess in some of the aspects of self-development, this idea in praise of big you know, huge action, big dreams and all of that. And I'm not, I'm not against having big dreams, but they've got this, you've got to start somewhere, haven't you, by the smaller steps. So how do we how do we take what we just talked about and and encourage somebody who's thinking, well, where do I start? You know, where do I start with well, for me, there's a, find something fulfilling? There's, there's a really useful tool, an observation that I was given by careers advisor when I went to them at the university and said, I, I've just had enough of being a research scientist. I want to do something else. Mm -hmm. And they pointed out that a change in career, such as I was thinking about, is not an event. It is a process. Right. And as soon as you start to think about these things, not as binary switches, mm -hmm. but as long-term process slash projects, it's, it's much easier to, to wrap your head around them. So in the same way as you might have a project about researching X or building Y, you have a project which is about changing from being a carpenter to a plumber or changing, in my case, from being a research scientist to a trainer. Now, there are still things that I use in my training from my research science days, the stuff where I go back to the research papers and all that kind of jazz, um, but you have this process where one of the steps might be, for example, what are the things about being a research scientist that I like that I want to take with me? Right. Yeah. And that's a, that's a tiny, tiny step. It's just um, how long does it take to do that? Do you know, it takes about as long as it takes to have half a bottle of wine. Approximately, approximately. Um, so I'm told. A friend told me. A friend told me. Right? Um, but the point is that that's, that's a step. That's a tiny incremental step towards knowing what it is that I want. And the other thing that, that you have to bear in mind is that if you want, if you're robust enough at this, you end up with a script which doesn't say I'm a research scientist or I am a dancer or, or, or whatever. You go... I am a human being, and currently, I am working. I am working as a. Yeah. So what you're doing is changing the script that you're that you're running about what you do, not the script about who you are. So the best thing to do with that is to get right down to your your absolute fundamentals, your core philosophies about who you are, what you believe in, why you are doing what you are doing. 
Because once you know your why, you'll find out you can apply your why in different circumstances. Um, so I have taken huge things with me from my research science days. The why that, that, that's come with me, for example, um, would be I used to do research science so more people knew more stuff to make the world a better place. Well, actually, that's exactly what I'm doing as a trainer. More people know more stuff so they can make the world a better place. The only difference is that once upon a time, I used to discover that stuff. And now I tell people about that stuff. So that's a much smaller step than people think it is. Mm. In fact, it's a tiny, tiny little step. Lots and lots and lots of things have remained the same. Yeah. Such as why, do, you know, as, as, as um, Simon, Simon Sinek says, why do you get out of bed in the morning and why should anybody care? If if the story you're telling yourself is not a, the research scientist versus the story of being a trainer, but the story you're telling yourself, your script is more people, because of me, more people will know more things and therefore they can do have more impact and make the world a better place. I, I've, I've barely changed the script. I've just, I've changed the, the skin that goes around it. That's all. I've kept the, the, the main things the same. Yeah, right. I love that. I love that. the idea of how that can help somebody who's feeling lost directionless or questioning. This, this is I hate this job or I hate what I'm doing at the moment. Whatever it is, you know that how it, it, it appears in life. It, that we we often can see that if we're not as aware of that, a, 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 like a binary choice of just put up with it, and wind your neck, and then get on with it, or just totally burn all bridges you know have your so-called midlife crisis mismanage it all of that and just chuck everything out and you find yourself as I did because I did that years ago in a place where I had to I had nothing I had no real story I had no sense of identity and I was like I often describe it Lego house I'd want smashed it up I had Lego blocks all over and I had to start from scratch and actually what you're seeing there is if we can just reframe it and rather than avoiding it or just, you know, it becomes some massive, you know, event in our life. We change that idea to, okay, there's something here. Let's change it from a process to, a, sorry, an event to a process. That's and key reg- for me. That's, yeah. that's really key. I think that is a very, very powerful. I love the, I love the idea of that. And I, as somebody who's very process driven, I like to kind of have steps. And all, but I love that idea. It's a journey. It's steps. It's a process. And actually, you don't have to have all of the, the steps or the answers. You don't know. So seeing it as that gives you permission to then start taking the first steps. And those first steps may be to go back to what, what, what do you already do that you like? Is that, is that, that, that was the phrases that you used? Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm just going to pedantically pick up on one word there. Go on. Not go back to but go down to. Down to? What, what do you because, think? Yeah, well, I, I don't want to go backward because backwards implies retreating. It's just right. a, Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. It, it's, yeah. it's just me playing with words a little bit. Get right down into the core of you rather than going back to what you yes. used to be. Okay. Because um, I, I just want to avoid the word back because it implies yeah. things I don't want to go for. Yeah, so we're getting deeper, aren't we? We're getting deeper into yeah. some of those core drivers. And actually what we can see... I would suggest for the majority of the time, for the majority of us, is that those things at the core will always stay the same. You know, as you say, your why is, I might change the dressing around it, but that still stays the same, which then gives you permission to say, actually, this may not be as radical or as, you know, disastrous or catastrophic as I I, I imagine it to be. Actually, I'm keeping a lot here 
what's the next step? What could I change? What what could I explore? What things could I experiment or play with, you know, in that shaping and testing things? What things definitely aren't, you know, are definitely not going to factor in? You know, what are the things that definitely aren't complementary to that that I'm already doing? Let's see what I could do to ethically and what have you do less of. Yeah, and there's a couple of observations. The first is, it's never as easy as we're making it sound. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, no model is as clean as it ever appears when you draw it on a whiteboard. Um, the second is that you need to give yourself permission to screw it up. Yes. Because sometimes you are going to have to muck things up and it's okay to get help and it's okay to go, do you know what, that one bombed, that's that's not where I'm going. Um, but one of the things I found incredibly useful was to think of the, what I call the four T's. So you're saying, you mentioned there's something like, um, how do I ethically do less of this? Uh, and in order to do that, I, I kind of like a four T approach now. And different people have different, this is just mine, um, target, tactics, tools, and time. Okay. The target is what am I trying to do? Tactics, how am I going to do this? Tools, what equipment, support, or people do I need around me? And time is pretty damn obvious. When am I going to set aside time in the diary to to do this because far too many people just jump in with one of those things missing and the project fails because that step fails and the step fails because they haven't got the right tools or they didn't get the right support or they weren't you get the idea yeah uh, and the, it's i'm not saying that's rocket science i am not saying that there are not better ways of doing it but for me target tactics tools and time is is just a nice little you know what, what do i need to consider yeah yeah I love that. And and tie that in with your previous statement about you will make mistakes and it's okay, that you don't know what you don't know. So when you step into that, the four T's, there's things you're going to realize you didn't know or that you didn't have. But then adopting another script that says, okay, so what can I learn and what can we pick up and what can we get back on with rather than the script that says, that didn't work, what's the point? Just get it. It's never going to work. It's it's not for me. Who am I to think I can? So it's about changing those other scripts or just challenging and being aware of those scripts whilst we're doing and exploring this and adopting that kind of a, I, I would always, in my head, I kind of treat it as a bit of an adventure, you know, you're exploring your test and you're seeing what happens and how do we reframe it in our own language, um, being like a fellow kind of, nerdy person i often think about you know exploring the galaxy and adventures you know captain kirk on the starship enterprise that kind of thing it, that's my language of kind of trying to g myself into that mindset as opposed to what can happen is that self-defeating oh god it just never works see it just hasn't worked again just what's the point just go back to whatever just just crack a bottle of beer open and just yeah i i remember reading some research so long ago i can't remember where it came from now where these guys were looking at the difference between two groups of people, one who identified themselves as lucky mm. and those people who identified themselves as, no, I'm not a lucky person. And the only difference that the researchers could identify was that some people identified themselves as lucky and some people identified themselves as not lucky. And all the differences were consequences of that identification, not causes of that identification so if you think of yourself as lucky and you apply for four jobs and you haven't got them your approach will be well i'll apply for the fifth job you never know i might get it 
and you've got a one in five chance of getting it. Whereas if you, or one in whatever, um, if you regard yourself as unlucky and you've applied for four jobs and haven't got them, you go and you see, well, I'm never going to get it. So you don't apply for the fifth job. Well, by definition, you have zero chance of getting it yeah. at that yeah. point. Now, that's not to say that positive thinking always works. It's not to say that going for the job always works. It is, however, to point out that negative thinking, sadly, does. Never work. (laughs) (laughs) Negative thinking works. If I think I can't do it, then, yeah, if I think I can't do it, then, well, uh, my my personal trainer in the gym just looks at me when she says, here, lift that, and I look at it and go, I can't. And her first response is, well, yeah, you're right, you can't. Because if I tell her I can't and I'm not going to try, by definition, I can't pick it up. Yeah. 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 Whereas if she gives me something and I have a go at it, I may or may not be able to do it. Hello, Anne, if you're listening to this, I'll do 20 burpees after this just to make you feel better. Um, Because let's face it, 20 burpees sure as hell doesn't make me feel better. (laughs) But if she gives me something to pick up, I may or may not be able to pick it up. Yeah. But I may or may not be able to pick it up. Yes. Yeah, it increases your, your, your chances of a positive outcome, doesn't it, by simply having a go yeah. or adopting that approach, that 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 pattern. And one of the things I, in in some of my reading around it is that optimism or or an optimistic thinking style can be adopted. You know, as it's it's not a trait in the sense it's not fixed. We can all adopt an optimistic thinking style with practice, because some of us maybe are, you know it's mm-hmm. it's, a, it's further to go. But is yeah. that tapping into the idea of the scripts? You know, my typical script might be, oh, it's fine. never works. Give up. Just don't bother. Never get that job. It'll never happen. They don't want me. Yet. My face doesn't fit. You know, all those kind of scripts that come in. But that script. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at your face right now, Dave, and I, <laughs> you know, I can, I can, I'm with them there, yeah. frankly. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> uh, to answer that question before you go too far, I, it sounds like it, but honestly, I don't know because I haven't read the research that you're, or yeah. I don't recognise the research you're referring to. But it, do, it certainly does sound like that. Yeah. Yes, I can't. I can't recall because um, again, it's a little while ago. But I don't, it, 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 it's not that optimism versus pessimism. There isn't sort of a, a natural tendency towards those. It's just that we can adopt an optimistic thinking style. Yeah. And it kind of separates that, which to me kind of speaks the language of I can adopt a more optimistic script here. And that, t- yeah. that goes back to the meta script idea that you, you have to be able to kind of be aware enough to say, actually, is this script serving me? The outcome that I want or where I want to go? Um, where where can I find the right script or how do I find the right script to tap into? Up to a point, yes. Now, I'm desperately trying to remember the name of the guy. Admiral something begins with an SH. Oh. Can't remember it. Uh, American basically pointing out that optimists and prisoner of war camps don't yes. make it. Yeah, not me. yeah, right now because they say we're going to be it's going to be done by Christmas. We're going to be free by Christmas, and then Christmas crumbs and you're crushed because you're not free. His observation, which seems perfectly sensible to me, is that you can be optimistic about the outcome whilst still being miserably realistic or even pessimistic about the process of getting there. Yeah. Now, I know, I know, I can't remember his name, but you're right. He, he was um, in, car, in in a prison of war um, for some years, and that's what he noticed. He noticed that the pessim- more who were genuinely pessimistic, prone to just giving up, would kind of, they would give up more easily and, and give up hope, and that would lead to a greater chance of them not surviving. Then you had the optimists, optimistics on the other end, who 
I, I guess I would use the phrase almost delusional optimism, like it will happen tomorrow, we'll, we'll get out next Christmas, or and, and fixing on a date or a point. Um, and Stockdale is his name, but I've just... Stockdale, I've just, that's it, yes. I've, I've Googled him while you were talking, Stockdale. <laughs> Admiral Stockdale, yeah. Now, the stock because it was in uh, Good to Great, wasn't it, Jim Collins' book? Yeah, you know, the, Stockdale the, Paradox, yeah. Paradox, yeah. Um, I guess I have in a, a, two phrases that are, like the optimistic thinking style, in my head, I think pragmatic practical optimism not delusional optimism because that mm-hmm. delusional optimism for me does not serve a purpose well maybe it does in a sense it can be quite it can boost you up in a moment it can be a short-term kind of feel-good factor i don't know you know and we've probably all done it you know i've, I've had a beer and thought oh yeah i can do this you know <laughs> yeah but what happens when it doesn't work yes oh that's a good point so and you are me, then back to worse than yeah. square one yeah so for me the prag pra- pragmatic Practical optimism is more about exactly how you describe it. Yeah, look, I've got a greater chance. There's a greater chance of things working out if I adopt this approach um, and and work towards it. But don't be so fixed on the how or when it's going to happen because there are lots of unknowns. There are things I don't know. Um, I might not actually want it when I realise it. You know, I might change my mind along the way. There might be setbacks that I wasn't anticipating. That practical, pragmatic optimism is a bit to me. It's it's it kind of gives you that opportunity to be flexible and not pin your hopes on it, put everything, all your eggs in that basket type of thing. Yeah. Well, it sounds remarkable. It sounds dangerously like we're, we're agreeing with each other. God, what's going on here? <laughs> I know. I don't know. Time to stop that, talking quick. I know. Is that a good place to end the podcast? <laughs> I'm going to do it. Agree. What, what's going on here? <laughs> we, we need to go lie down in our separate places, yeah. just in the dark room. Yeah. On a, on a serious note, though, Simon, thank you for your time. This has been brilliant. And it's been great to, to talk through these in in some detail and kind of articulate some of the questions and thoughts that I had and understand them largely and head in the right direction. It's still a journey and exploration, all of this for me. Um, and I guess everything, everything is for all of us. And that's, that's yeah. what, one of the scripts I'm running. I, I consciously have to run this script is you don't know all the answers, Simon, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great parting thought for listeners as well. We don't know all the answers, but part of the adventure, I guess, is finding those out as we go along and, and some of the tactics we talk about. The, the process, not event, I think is a cracking tip. Great. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to I float something even further past you. Well, you don't have all the answers. Thank God. <laughs> yes. How yes. awful would life be if you did? Mm. Just a really scary thought. If I actually knew what I was doing, not only would I be dangerous to the rest of the world, but how sad would boring would my would my life be? Because part of the reason of being alive for me is to figure out what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I oh, I think that's as good a place as any to the adventure of just finding figuring it out. Thank you yeah. very much, Simon. Just, I guess, just parting thought. Where there will be details in the show notes about where to find more about you. Is there anything that you want to say in terms of where people can find you, find out more about you? Any asks of the audience? Twitter is at presentations, or find me on LinkedIn. It's Simon Hyphen Raybold Hyphen Presentations. There are three, I think, now Simon Raybold's on LinkedIn. One of whom is a Canadian bread maker. Don't go to him. He's awesome, and his bread is fantastic, I'm sure. But you do have weird conversations about baking bread with him. Um, so yeah, just, just say hi on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Brilliant, and thank you very much for your time, Simon. It's been been my great. pleasure, and I really enjoyed talking to you, Dave. Thanks very much. Yes, take care. Bye. 
I hope you've enjoyed your flight aboard Sprout One. For show notes and information on how to get the podcast feed direct to your Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other favorite podcast feed, visit SproutSweater.com. And touchdown.